Now, our Bible reading this morning is taken from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter <coughs> 10, and we're going to commence reading at the verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Listen to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, reading, of course, from the authorized version. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful and promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who have trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. My text this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. It reads as follows, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now this is Reformation Sunday, Sunday closest to the 31st of October. And today I want to take up the theme understanding the doctrine of full assurance of faith. If you look at our text, it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And I want us to understand the meaning of full assurance of faith. I want you to think, first of all, of the subject of full assurance of faith. You see, this is a great subject. It's so great a subject that I could preach, if it were possible, a whole series of messages on this theme. Now, I only intend to preach one message today. The word assurance is a very strong word. 
It leaves no room for doubt, no room for despair, no room for defeat. When you think of this subject, you ask yourself, when the Bible talks about full assurance of faith, underline the word assurance and ask yourself, what is that? Now, you've got to think of an important principle. When we ask, what is full assurance of faith? Here's the answer. It is a God-given confidence for every true believer in Christ of their approval and future acceptance by their heavenly Father. Another divine said, It is a conviction wrought in us by the Holy Ghost that we have the measure of true faith in Christ. So literally, a full assurance has to do with being in union with Christ. Full assurance in Christ and salvation. Not only think of this subject by way of a principle, but think of the problems. You see, many today think they're saved. Many today claim they're Christian, that they're in Christ but they're not. What they have is a false assurance. And one day they'll be found out, but it'll be too late. They'll discover in that day that all they had was a false profession. They never truly possessed Christ. They were not in Christ. And in that day, a faithful day, they'll hear the words, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Could you think of how terrible a thing that would be? Here you are, you're, you're, you're attending church, you're reading the Bible, you're worshiping God by praise, you're even offering prayer, you're giving your money to the house of God, the Lord's treasure. You think you're saved, you claim, but you've got a false kind of assurance. And at the end of the day, you're going to end up in that terrible place that the Bible calls hell. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then, that means at that time, will I profess unto them... I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Many will say to me in that day, a multitude. The Bible encourages us to make your calling and election sure. So I ask this morning, do you know truly and genuinely that you are saved? That you're born again of the Holy Spirit? How can you be 100% sure, absolutely sure that you're born again and you're genuinely saved and found in Christ? <coughs> There's another aspect to this problem. Many of God's dear people are truly saved, but they wrestle with doubts about their salvation. They have loads of anxiety. They're full of griefs. Many possess certain insecurities. And they miss out on the joy of their heavenly father. They miss out on a life of perfect peace. They miss out on a life of power and victory over sin. 
Many are unable to come to this knowledge of full assurance of faith. Now, I want to make it clear. It's a wonderful thing to know that you're saved. To know your sins are forgiven. That you have peace with God. That you're assured of a home in heaven. So, as you think of this subject, full assurance of faith, take in mind this principle of what it is. But recognize that there's problems. Because people have a false kind of assurance that they're resting in, and it'll be found out in a day to come. And many, of course, have honest doubts and honest struggles. I want you to think of these pillars. There's three pillars connected to this subject. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the first pillar. That's how you can be 100% sure that you're saved on the road to heaven and home. That you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. See, remember the Bible uses the terms coming to Christ, receiving Christ, believing in Christ, trusting in Christ. And it all points to the same thing. Exercising the gift of saving faith in Christ alone. It's all pointing to the same truth. You see, in coming to Christ, in believing in Christ, in um, trusting Christ, you're confessing to Christ your sin. You're crying out like Peter, Lord, save me, I perish. Or God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And then you, you commit your whole life to Christ. You surrender your all. You yield yourself fully to Christ. And if I ask, what are you depending on to get to heaven? You will say, I'm depending on Christ alone. Now, many of God's dear people who are in Christ and depending on him alone struggle. Because they're plagued with doubt. They're thinking to themselves, well, did, I, did I repent enough of my sin? Did I do enough to come to Christ? Did, did I pray the right kind of prayer? Was I sincere? Was I genuine? You see, some can't remember a date or a time. Uh, some can't remember the circumstances or the actual words of the prayer. And it haunts them. And they're robbed of much assurance. Now, now, let me make it abundantly clear this morning for those who are listening online as well. Our salvation doesn't rest in what I have done or you have done. No, it rests in Christ alone for salvation. It rests in who Christ is and what he has done for you and does in you and does to you by his spirit. You see, the new birth is not something you can do for yourself. Your justification and mine is not something we do to ourselves. We contribute nothing to the new birth. We contribute nothing to a full and free justification. We contribute nothing to our salvation. Salvation, as this text behind me says, is of the Lord. In other words, it's all of God and all of grace. Salvation is in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, through faith alone. Remember Lazarus? He was dead in the grave. He was dead for four days, young people. His body was stinking. There was a big stone covering the tomb. And the Lord Jesus stood outside the tomb and he called, Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? As he named his name, he gave Lazarus life. And because Lazarus was alive again, then he came forth. Lazarus was dead. He could do nothing. He needed the infusion of life. 
Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you have they quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. In other words, Christ did it all. Our salvation. The faith to come and believe in Christ. That faith is a gift of God. It's planted in the soul. It's not our faith. It's, it's the gift of faith. And true repentance is the gift of God. As, as we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Spirit's life, as we exercise these spiritual gifts, then we come to believe in, come to receive, come to trust in Christ. And it's Christ that does the saving. We don't save ourselves. Salvation is in Christ. Christ has done all that's required for salvation. And my assurance, your assurance, rests alone in Christ, in what he has done. And in Christ, we have a right relationship and a right standing before God. Now, that's, that's one of the pillars of full assurance of faith. Here's the second pillar. Those who have possessed new life in Christ, that new life in Christ will change your behavior. Change your lifestyle, change your thinking, change your ways. Remember the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, Therefore if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And you will love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You will desire to live for the Lord. You, you'll want to please him. You will have a hunger for his word. You will manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Because you're born of the Spirit, remember, in the book of Galatians, we read these words. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And you will exercise the gifts of the Spirit. And that will all, that new life will manifest itself. And the third pillar is this. Now that you possess this new life, you also will possess the inner witness of the Spirit. See, if you look at Hebrews chapter 10 with me for a moment, and in the verse 15, it says, Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before. If you turn to the book of Romans, and Romans chapter 8, <coughs> and look with me at verse 16. Romans 8 and 16, you'll read the words, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And that's the only two places in the whole of the Bible where you've got the witness of the Spirit. And that witness of the Spirit is a real subjective experience that's rooted in the objective work of Christ in the gospel. It's the Spirit of God that leads us to say no to sin. It's the Spirit of God that enables us to hate sin and turn from it and to love righteousness. It's not of ourselves. It's not our strength. It's not our willpower. It's the Spirit of God that indwells us. Now, in this subject of true assurance, I've tried to give you the principle. I've tried to set before you the problems. And the problems are real for the unconverted, for the false professor, and for the struggling saint. I've tried to give you these pillars that are, that are very important. Now think of the pitfalls. You see, not every true Christian enjoys full assurance of faith in Christ. As I've said, many struggle. Why? Well, here's the reasons. Some teach that it's a mere presumption 
to know or to say that you're saved. The Church of Rome teaches that it's a mere presumption to say, I am saved in this life and sure of heaven. They argue that nobody can know that they're saved in this life until they die. Now, now that's a lie. That's a falsehood. How do I know that that's a lie and falsehood? Well, if we turn to the scriptures, remember the apostle um, uh, Paul and Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and in the verse 12, uh, listen to the word of God. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The apostle Paul had an absolute unshakable assurance that all was well with his soul. In other words, he knew that he was saved. He had full assurance of faith. And remember over there in Romans chapter 8 and in the verse 38, he said, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Another um, pitfall is brought about because of apostate Protestantism. And sadly, many within apostate Protestantism vehemently oppose the whole issue of full assurance of faith. The church struggles with the teaching of hyper-Calvinism. We'll not go into all that. The church struggles with the teaching of hyper-Arminianism, where many of God's people are living in fear that they're saved today, and because they commit a sin, they're backslidden and lost tomorrow. And there are certain evangelical teachings that, that undermine the whole doctrine of assurance of faith. Unconfessed sin leads to a lack of assurance. An absence of perfect peace a mind that's full of doubt and turmoil and fear and, and, and uncertainty. And many of God's dear people are full of doubt and turmoil and, and worry and, and uncertainty. Deep depression seizes hold upon them. One such man was William Cowper. He agonized over his conversion. He was often found in the depth of despair. And he felt in his heart. Now notice the word felt in his heart. He was not truly saved. He doubted much. I believe he was a genuine Christian. A doubtful frame of mind. And things and events can happen where people's faith is shaken. And then the devil comes with devilish suggestions. And people wrestle with these suggestions in their mind to the point where they're asking, am I a true child of God? And many dear believers lack and can't attain a full assurance of faith. They don't enjoy a full measure that others have. They don't enjoy what Paul have because of these pitfalls and many others. There's the subject of full assurance of faith. Get a hold of this principle. Realize that there's problems. Ask yourself about the pillars and acknowledge the pitfalls. The second thing I want to teach this morning is this, the sweetness of full assurance of faith. You see, you can know with absolute certainty like Paul that you are a genuine born-again Christian, that you're in Christ and you're assured of a home in heaven. Look at chapter 10, verse 22. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, this is an exhortation to Hebrew Christians. 
let us draw near. What does that mean? It means let us approach. So there's an activity in view. Who are you approaching? Well, you've got to think of the context. What's the last word of verse 21? And having an high priest over the house of God. The house of God's a reference to heaven. God is the last person that's mentioned. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So you've got to think of this activity that's in view, approaching this certain person, and you're approaching into the very presence of God himself. You're, you're drawing near to worship God. You're drawing near to wait on him. And I have no doubt the Apostle Paul was probably borrowing from the language of the Old Testament. Hebrew Christians were familiar with that language. Let us draw near. And you've got to think of the solemn action here. Think of the people. Thinking of the one to whom they were coming near. Drawing near into the very presence of God. The living and the true God. A God who is thrice holy. The, the one who is perfectly just. The, the eternal one. The, the one who is of pure eyes that can't look on iniquity. The one who dwells in light unapproachable. You've got to think of approaching the God of heaven. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He, he's a dreadful God. He's a great God. He, 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 he's a God to be feared. You and I are vile and guilty before him. We are sinful. And you think of sinful creatures coming into the very presence of one who's absolutely perfectly holy. A very solemn business to approach into the presence of this infinite, holy, eternal, unchangeable God. Surely a most solemn, serious business. Now, approach is one thing, but you'll want to know if you have an acceptance because you could be rejected. You could be refused. You want to know that you're being favorably received. Remember, he's a holy, righteous God. And one of the questions that we asked ourselves, are we guaranteed an acceptance by him? An acceptance that will lead to an audience. An audience that will give us the joy of asking things of this God. You see, full assurance involves a right of approach. A right of an acceptance with him. The right of having an audience with him. The right of asking things for him. Now that's the focus especially when you think about the word pray, as we approach and we praise him and we repent of our sin and we ask him for things and we yield ourselves afresh to him. Now there's people in God's house this morning. There's people that listen to me online and they don't have this assurance of approach. They don't have this assurance of acceptance. They don't have this assurance of having an audience with the living and the true God. This this. this thought about asking him things. Why? Because they're unconverted. They're unsaved. They cannot and do not have this assurance. Why? Because they're outside of Jesus Christ. They're not trusting in Christ alone for salvation. They haven't got new life in Christ. They haven't got the witness of the Spirit. But, but also, there's many Christians <coughs> who profess faith in Christ and for a variety of reasons, don't possess this full assurance. Now, let me be clear. 
This full assurance of faith can be possessed, can be enjoyed right now. It's a most glorious possession. It's not mere wishful thinking. It's not pie in the sky. It's not a hope-so concept. The true child of God can have it now. The true child of God can enjoy it. They can possess it. And they can live it out. You see, you who are unconverted, you can come into Christ this morning. You can repent of your sin and receive him as Lord and Savior. You can possess it through Jesus Christ and the gospel. Are you willing to come? Have you come? You who are converted and are not sure, you're full of doubt and struggles and fears, don't rest until you come to know this full assurance of faith, to have this understanding. As you meditate on this subject, think of the sweetness of this. I have got a right of approach to God. I can be accepted by God. I can have an audience. I can ask God for things. Now, the third thing is this, and we're just getting to the heart of the message. I want you to think of the substance of full assurance of faith, because here's the heart and marrow of the subject. Think of two things. Think of the essence of this assurance. You see, if you look at your Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, notice at the end of verse 22, the word water has got a full stop. That's the end of a sentence, young people. When did the sentence start? The sentence started in verse 19. The last full stop is the word sin in the, word, in the verse 18. So from verse 19... Verse 20 and 21 and 22 is all one big long sentence. And what it's teaching is this, that the nature of true assurance centers in the full revelation of Jesus Christ given to us by God himself. You see, Jesus Christ is everything the Bible says he is. Jesus Christ has done everything the Bible says that he has done. Jesus Christ is everything that you need for now and need for eternity. In chapter 10, verse 19, we read, Having therefore, you've got a comma, we'll pause. You see, chapter 10, verse 18, is the conclusion to the first part of the book of Hebrews. Did you know that? And chapter 10, verse 19, having therefore, is the second part, or the start of the second part. It marks the beginning of the second part of the book of Hebrews. See, the book of Hebrews divided into two parts. Chapter 1, verse 1, right through to chapter 10, verse 18. That's one part. And then the second part is chapter 10, verse 19, having therefore right through to the end. And you see, chapter 10, verses 1 to 18, is really summing up the revelation of the first part. Because in the first part of the book, the Apostle Paul set forth the superiority of Jesus Christ in relation to angels, Gabriel included, Michael, in relation to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In relation to the holy prophets, major, minor. In relation to Israel's high priest, the first one being Aaron. 
in relation to all the Levitical priests, in relation to the whole Levitical system, in relation to the Old Testament temple, the Old Testament sacrifice, the Apostle Paul set forth very clearly the absolute superiority of Jesus Christ in contrast to these individuals and to these institutions. He also set forth the absolute sufficiency of Jesus Christ. To boil it all down, it's this. Jesus Christ is all you need. Remember the little sum, young people. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus Christ plus anything equals nothing. You see, Christ came and fulfilled all the types and shadows of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ in and of himself is sufficient to save souls, to keep souls, to love souls, to care for souls, to counsel souls. And when you read chapter 10, verses 1 to 18 very carefully, the Apostle Paul is summarizing all that he's taught for us. And then he gives us this exhortation on this basis. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, high by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. In what way? In full assurance of faith. If we were to examine this chapter, I have to be very brief here, you've got a setting forth of the will of the Father. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, we read in verse 7, Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O my God. Uh, verse 9, then he said, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There's a setting forth of the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? The will of the Father is this, and listen to me as we finish. A substitute was to come. And that substitute was to do what the Levitical sacrificial system could never do. And that is take away sin. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. The Old Testament sacrifices did not take away sins actually. They just act as a covering. The blood of a calf and a goat could not take away sin. You needed a substitute. Now, who is the substitute? Listen to Hebrews 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. There's Christ's true humanity. And that was the will of the Father, that he was to become born of the virgin. He was to be a true man with a, a real human body, a body of flesh and blood. And we've got to accept the true humanity of Jesus Christ. He had a sinless, holy body that he was going to die on the tree upon. And then you've got the humility of Christ. I've come to do thy will. What does that mean? What was the will of the Father? Well, he must suffer and die on the cross and shed his blood. He must do all that's required. He must fulfill the role of a substitute. He'll, because of his true deity, save a multitude of people. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. There you've got the work of the Son. Jesus Christ is the great high priest, the one who offered himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12 says, 
But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. There's a, a single sacrifice for sin. Once and for all, never needs to be repeated. The mass of the Church of Rome is wrong. It's blasphemous because it's a continual bloodless sacrifice. There's a substitutionary sacrifice for sin. It's not the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but, but the blood of Christ. There, there's a sinless sacrifice for sin because it involved a, a, a sinless offering. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. There, there's a... a, 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 a a satisfactory sacrifice for sin. The Bible says he sat down at the right hand of God. In other words, the resurrection was proof that God accepted the sacrifice. His life, after his ascension, he sat down at the right hand of God. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And, and this is all for the sinner. Notice also then in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through to 18, you've got the witness of the Spirit, starting with the verse 15, wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. The whole Godhead involved. The Father's will, the Spirit's work, the Son's work, the Spirit's witness. You see, the Holy Spirit witnessed to us that we are God's people. The Holy Spirit witnesses to one who, who wants to be saved and is saved. As I've said, there's two places in the Bible where the Spirit's witness is mentioned. Romans 8, 16, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. And how does the Spirit witness? He uses the Word of God. What does the Apostle Paul quote? He quotes from the Bible, verse 16, verse 17. He's quoting from Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33, the everlasting covenant. The Holy Spirit uses the Word to witness. See, the Holy Spirit never lead you into sin. He'd never lead you to do something contrary to the Bible. The, the Holy Spirit will always bring home to your heart his own word, the word of God. The Holy Spirit will also witness and testify to Christ. Can you get the picture here? Here's the essence of true assurance. All three persons of the Trinity involved working together. The Father's will, the Son's work, the Spirit's witness. Working together to bring us full assurance of faith. You see, full assurance is not derived from what we do. Not from what we perform. Not from what we present. It's not a result of what we do. Full assurance rests our souls on the work of Jesus Christ alone. We are gripped by the firm understanding that were accepted by God on the basis of the perfect work of Christ. Not what I do, not what I perform. You see, many genuine believers feel unless I perform something, unless I do this, I do that, I won't be, I can't be accepted. But these three pillars, if you're in Christ alone, resting in him, new life in Christ, not perfectly, but purposefully and, and, and passionately striving to, to live for Christ, the witness of the Spirit using the word, you see, here's a work that's sufficient to save, a work that's sufficient to keep, a work that's sufficient to help us to persevere. It's not a feeling that you manufacture. It's not filling with your mind with doubts and fears. Fill your mind with who you are and what you are in Christ. Am I saved? Will I get into heaven? I've prayed a prayer. Well, don't rest in the prayer. You'll never have assurance by resting in the prayer. You can rest in the Christ to whom you prayed. Lord, save me, I perish. 
God be merciful to me, the sinner. You see, it all depends on Christ because he came to do the will of the Father. Here's the work and here's the witness of the Spirit to that end. One final thing and our time is gone. Not only the essence of assurance, but the expectation. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. What do you expect when you draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith? You expect this. Now listen to me as we finish. You expect to be received. You expect to be recognized for who you are. And it's all in the ground of who Christ is and what he has done. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. Not brazenness. The word boldness means confidence. And on what ground do you enter in? On the ground of the blood of Christ. That's the foundation. The blood of Christ, that's the same foundation that he entered in. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12 says this. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. We enter in the same foundation. He could have legally entered in in his own name. He could have legally entered in because of his deity. He could legally entered in on, on any ground that he chose. But he entered in on the ground of his own precious shed blood. And we enter in on that ground, not in brashiness, not in brazenness, but with a, a holy confidence. We have no valid reason not to approach God because we're found in Christ. And we can seek for whatever we want. You could seek for salvation. Lord, save me, I perish. You can seek for answers to prayer. You can seek for forgiveness of sins. You can seek for victory over sin. You can seek for perfect peace. You can seek for help in your struggles. It's all here. The blood, of course, never loses its power. It's fresh. As we approach, we expect to be received and recognized. But we also expect to be existed. Why? With this I finish. It says, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. A high priest in heaven. That's the Lord Jesus. And he hears us. He knows us. He loves us. He cares for us. He can help us. He forgives us. You come with that expectation. Acceptance. But assisted because of the work of the high priest. Who lives in the power of an endless life. To make intercession for me. That is the substance of full assurance of faith. Get a hold of the subject this morning. Fill your mind with the sweetness of right of approach, acceptance, audience, and ask. And here's the substance of it in its essence. It's based in the work of Christ because he came to do the will of the Father and it's witnessed by the Spirit. And you can expect to be accepted. You can be, expect to be assisted. Because we have an high priest over the house of God. The Lord bless you today. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you coming. And I pray that the Lord will bless these few words to our heart. This is a big subject. If any of you are struggling, please come and speak to me. I'll try and help you.